Hi, this is David Yaz at the Boston Podcast Network, hoping you are staying safe and healthy during this period of precaution over the coronavirus. It's difficult to connect with your clients and contacts in a period such as this, but here we continue to produce podcasts that allow you to connect with the people that you want to reach. You've got a wrapped audience like never before. People are home, they're listening, and they're waiting to hear from you. We can create a professional podcast with a quick turnaround and do the whole thing remotely so you don't have to leave your home. Get in touch with us at pod617.com. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, thieves, everybody out there, quarantine nation, Boston nation. Um, how are you all doing in these uncertain times, these unsettling times, the new normal, the new whatever? Is it almost over? I don't know. Does anybody know? Do you know what day it is? Check your watch, people. Sometimes the, you find the day of the week right there on your watch or phone or whatever you're using. I'm rambling, but thankfully I have someone here to uh, help uh, soothe my soul and maybe make me laugh a little bit. We are joined today by author, humorist, all around hot ticket, Susan Goldfine is here. Do you mind being called a hot ticket? I love it. Oh, good. Hot Kidding? ticket. Hot, hot ticket is good. I, I want to be one myself someday. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'll call you that anytime you want. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's a deal. It's a deal. So Susan uh, comes to us from uh, the great state of Florida. You can insert a joke in there if you want to. I'm not going to. But we got introduced recently, and she's a, uh, an accomplished author. She's won awards. The, the book that is out now is called How to Complain When There's Nothing to Complain About. More thoughts about life from the far side of the, hi- of the hill. Am I reading that right, Susan? That's right. All right. That's right. What is the, side of the hill. What does that mean? Does that mean the the? Uh, well, the, you know the the expression "you're over the hill." Yes. That's where it comes from. You're on the other. I, you're I, on the other side of the hill. I am clearly over the hill. I am on the far side of the hill. So this is how I look at life. I'm I'm the worst kind. I've definitely I'm definitely heading down the other end, and yet I'm clinging to the top of the hill and pretending that I'm still up there. Um, but, but at any rate, so. Before, lest I forget, you can find all of Susan's stuff at susanunfilteredwit.com. And to people, people. Excuse me, can I interrupt? It's Susan's without the apostrophe, Ooh. but it's like plural. Susan'sunfilteredwit.com. I'm glad we cleared and, that up. And S at the end. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Susan's, Susan's, but no apostrophe, unfilteredwit.com. Don't put an apostrophe into the bar, the URL bar at the top of your browser. It will immediately break the internet and we will all die. Um, so tell me, um, well, let's start with this one. Let's start with the book. Why are, why are we complaining, Susan? And why is it funny? And why do we need this? Okay. Well, um, when the derivative of this, first of all, how to complain when there's nothing to complain about is the title of one of the essays that are in the book. And I thought it epitomized, um, what I, one of my goals, okay, mm-hmm. one sure. of my goals when, when I began the blog in the first place, what the book is, it's a, it's a compilation of essays mm-hmm. that I have written over the years. 
And it is a second volume. Um, the first volume had 50 essays. This volume has 50 essays. When I first started out doing this, when I, I first created the blog, came before the books. Um, when I first started doing this, um, my one of my muses was Andy Rooney. Sure. And remember Andy Rooney? From of course. 60, 60 minutes. 60 minutes? Yeah. Yes. And at the end of 60 minutes, he was the curmudgeon who sat there at the table complaining about something ridiculous and making it very funny. Yeah. And it was as if he had gotten to the age where complaining was his right and privilege. And in, you know, art, and in art form. Yes. And whether <laughs> it was about the checkout line in the supermarket or something equally as absurd, um, I found him quite amusing. And I said, this is what I want to do. I want to like pick on life's ridiculous inane happenings and situations and moments and make them funny, make them absurd and complain about them. Yes. And, and at the same time, I also channeled Nora Ephron, mm -hmm. um, whose essays were mostly about being female, getting older and all of the absurd things that we think are going to make our life better and, and uh, you know, more livable, let's say. Uh, you know, it was like finding the perfect handbag yeah. was just going to make life great. Right. Yeah. And, so so Nora, Nora Ephron directed When Harry Met Sally, if memory serves. Correct. That, okay, yeah. And, and that movie, although it's clearly a romantic comedy, it's fueled by a lot of those little funny moments in life, little observations about life. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, there's your, your influence right there, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's called situational humor. Um, you know, it's not slapstick. It's not physical humor. Uh, it's not one liners, but it's situational humor. It's, you know, taking the everyday and trying to see the lighter side of it, the, the absurdity of it. Seinfeld did it very successfully. Of course. Uh, his whole, all of his shows were based on that. Yeah. Who's, there were truths. Who, yeah, there who, were truths in everything he said, but you know, he made you look at it sideways. He made you look at it in a different way. Yeah, he. Yeah, that, he that's he, what I attempt to do. For sure. Yeah, he cranked yeah. it up a notch. You know, the whole what's the deal with that? Who's the who's the advertising genius behind this campaign? Um, I have, but lest I forget, I have an Andy Ro quick Andy Rooney story, um, and I actually. Got to know his daughter fairly well, Emily Rooney, who's a broadcaster here in Boston. But um, that's not the story. The story is I was in uh, New York for a summer uh, training for a job, and a friend of mine invited me to go to the Yankee game. And we are so we're in a car trying to make it to Yankee Stadium, and I think we were running late. And so I'm not driving, this other guy's driving, but we're buzzing along some street in New York. And he has to stop suddenly because there is an elderly gentleman making his way across the street and to the point where we were talking like brake squealing like oh god who is this old guy and my buddy sitting next to me goes that's andy rooney we almost killed andy rooney <laughs> so oh, no. yeah yeah but we didn't happily and i mean he has since departed the earth but at that that was back in maybe 2010 or something so i'm glad he's still around and we didn't kill him uh, he was still around for a while after that we didn't kill him yeah um so 
how's your uh, how's your quarantine going? And tell me, is it is it? I know that you, <laughs> you you write about some of this stuff on the blog, but so tell me your musings and your thoughts as as we sit here, most of us by ourselves. I think I'm, you know, I do exaggerate a bit in some of the things I write about, but I have been finding that I've been doing these silly little things around the house, you know, creating projects for myself where no projects exist. Um, you know, I, when I said filling up my spice jars and putting them in alphabetical order, I did in fact fill my spice jars. I did. I, I took all the half empty ones and I poured more stuff into them. And honestly, I did not organize them in alphabetical order, but I thought, okay. you know, it's a good visual. I just, you know, I'm going to include that. Sometimes you, you, know, have, you have to exaggerate for the sake of comedy for sure. Yes. Right. Yes. But, uh, you know, I, but I have been doing these dumb little things around the house that otherwise would never, you know, never get attended to. Um, I crawled under our picnic table to remove um, an electrical uh, switch that we were no longer using mm. because it bothered me to look at it. And since I was sitting still a lot and staring at it, I, I, I can't look at this anymore. And I ran for the Phillips head screwdriver, crawled under the table like a car mechanic. I was on my back, mm-hmm. you know, unscrewing this thing. So I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have to see it. And, Thank God that got um, done. I noticed, um, I noticed Susan, your, and again, the blog, you can go to Susan's unfiltered wit.com. I'm kind of, perusing the block your your dog makes some appearances who, who is this canine friend of yours what's what's that dog what's oh that? sam the sam. dog okay yep, right dog. you will probably hear him in the background because he is obsessed see we're in florida mm-hmm. and in florida i know i mean i i'm not a native floridian let me make that clear mm-hmm. i'm from brooklyn new york there and i go. say that with pride Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I'm a snow, what's called a snowbird down here. Sure. I spend the winter here, but escape in the summer. And I go back up to Connecticut and New York and occasionally visit Boston because we have a daughter there. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. terrific. Yeah. I love Boston, by the way. I think it's a great city. I really, really like it. Thank you. Uh-huh. New York, New Yorkers and Bostonians can absolutely get along. I think this is proof. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even, yeah. Though, even though you talk funny. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I talk wicked fine. All right. Yeah, wicked. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, what was I saying? The dog, the oh, dog. Sam the dog. Yes. Sam the dog. Okay. So in Connecticut, we have this, the, the deer scourge, you know, as you probably do in most suburbs in the Northeast. Down here, we have an iguana scourge. Oh, boy. And the iguanas are equally as pesty as the deer and that they eat all the vegetation. Mm. So we spend a lot of time trying to keep that population under control. But my Sam, the dog, is a terrier. And as a terrier, he's a hunter. Mm. And he is obsessed with them. And if he even thinks he sees one, he goes berserk. Mm. So you might hear him. He was just barking frantically. I'm surprised you didn't hear. I heard but something earlier. Yes, I, I suspected it yeah. was Sam, but but no problem that at all. That was Sam yeah. the dog. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I do write a lot about him, or not a lot, but I write some about him because um, he's an important little creature in my life. Does he know what's going on, do you think? I think no. Of course he doesn't know. I'm not, I'm not going to anthropomorphize him completely. Right, right, right. But I, I I, do think there is a sense in him of a change in, in his routine because 
several times a week as an outlet for him, I would bring him to a dog park. Mm-hmm. And in the dog park, he can run freely, safely, and interact with other dogs. That is now gone from his life. Oh, yeah. And I, I do sense at the end of an afternoon a certain restlessness, like mm-hmm. an awareness that, oh, it's 4 o'clock. This is when she usually puts me in the car and drives me to the dog park. And why aren't we doing that? Yep. And um, so I, I do get a sense of a little bit of lethargy in him more than there was before. Uh, and I'm and I'm sure he's wondering what the hell I'm doing home all day. Well, that well that's that's why I've been saying the dogs are the big winners in this quarantine thing because because yeah. the, they're constantly around humans, which you know you just, the you know the the moment where the dog welcomes you home after the day at work. It kind of it hasn't existed for a number of weeks now because everybody's home all the time. But but I right. think the dogs are happy, you know. That they I'm I'm told that the people are snapping up dogs like never before because, geez, you could use a little you know change in routine, a little spice. There's Sam right now. We just thank you for chiming in, Sam, on the program. Would I can you like have. to see him. Sure, I would love to. I would love to. Oh, Our listeners. Him. Okay. Excuse me for a moment. All right. While Susan does that. I'll take a minute to tell you what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com. How would you like your own podcast, kids? Now is actually a good time to do it. We'll send you out a USB microphone for free. We do everything remotely. We've been doing it remotely, actually, since we opened a couple of years ago. So this is nothing new to us. And you have a wrapped audience. Your audience and your clients and your contacts and all those folks you want to reach are waiting to hear from you. We do the whole thing, set you up on a call, record you remotely, do all the editing, intro music, outro music, and the whole deal. Go to pod617.com to get started. Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. In pod, we trust. And now, great timing, because this is it's just called good podcasting, people. Susan has returned with Sam. With Sam. And, and the, the dog. And there he is. And uh, now he um, he's lovely and completely adorable. And he's got his tongue stuck out. He's looking at me. Hey, Sam. What's up, Sam? Hi, Sam. I Hi. Like, so... <laughs> I was never a dog person growing up. I was allergic to, I still am allergic to certain dogs, but so it just never a thing for me. And my girlfriend has a dog that, and, and now I adore this little creature and I am constantly wondering what they're thinking because it seems like obviously that, you know, I talk to him, I say, you know, uh, Kobe, don't do that. You know, Kobe, can you, why don't you go over there and play for a little while so I can just sit here and watch TV. And my girlfriend says, Dave, he doesn't speak English. So what are you doing? And I say, well, I, I think he gets the general gist of what I'm saying, you know. But he, he, he gives me these looks. Like the other day, he's on the floor. He's playing with this toy. And he's looking at me like as if he's doing something he shouldn't be doing. It turns out that the little stuffed animal he had was one that was not one of his toys. It, was, it belonged to one of the kids, and he wasn't supposed to be doing that. So he knew. He knew. I don't, do you ever think of what goes through, what goes through <laughs> Sam the dog's head? Um, I do. And, um, you know, sometimes I think I know, you know, it's like, they're very much creatures of habit dogs. You know, if you have them on a schedule where you do certain things at certain times of the day and, and you're running late, I mean, he'll sit there, he'll come and find me Mm. and he'll look at me. And I know he's saying to me, it's time for my dinner. Yeah. What are you doing? You know, what's more important than feeding me? Right. Nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. They, they, um, 
And right now, they're all, as we've said, I mean, I, I think they're, they are probably a little confused. What the hell is going on? But at least they get attention and love now, right? Which is nice. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I think now Sam believes he owns us. Um. <laughs> and in a matter of speaking, he does. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, Susan, if you're game, we, I want to address this subject, and I have some audio clips prepared to take on the subject of, of when something is funny and when something isn't. But let's start with the premise that, you know, on your blog, you talk about how, you know, the, this, the coronavirus is obviously no laughing matter. We're seeing, right. we're seeing some scary numbers and people that are dying. And, and I'm sure it's happened to you. Um, thankfully, knock on wood, no one close to me has contracted the virus. But, though, but, it, but it's like one person away. Like I have a good friend who has a couple of good friends who've lost parents. And um, however, can we find humor? Is it OK? Is it OK for us to find humor in this whole thing? I think we have to. Mm-hmm. I think we have to, to keep ourselves sane. Uh, you know, in another life, um, I worked in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was a speech pathologist and, um, my, my clinical experience was working with older adults who had, uh, what we called acquired neurological disorders, such as a stroke or Parkinson's mm-hmm. or some kind of dementia that affected their communication abilities. And as such, I worked in a lot of medical facilities. I worked in uh, hospitals and rehab, assisted living, nursing homes, And there is a lot of sadness all around you constantly, all the time, you know, coronavirus notwithstanding. Um, But this is your world. This is what you live in. And as part of the staff, um, you do look for the little bits of things that can make you smile, make you laugh. Never being cruel, never at the expense of anybody. But it's really, really important to be able to see that, you know, on almost a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And in a sense of having to work with someone who's ill, I f- always found that humor was a great icebreaker. Yeah. And you I, know, I, I find, find something, safe, something safe that you possibly could bring a smile to somebody's face. With. So, I, I think it's really, really important. Uh, and I do too. And a lot of it, and you sort of alluded to it is like, to me, it's what's, what's the nut of the joke? In other words, what are you making fun of? I have a, I have a son with autism and if someone makes a joke or uses the R word, I'll say it retarded in a, in a way mm-hmm. that is putting somebody down. That's to me, that's not okay. Now, I mean, there's the first amendment, you can say whatever you want, but to me, it's like, well, please don't say that because what you're saying is that people who need a little extra help should be laughed at because they're a little slower than the rest of us. Now that's no good. Mm-hmm. But however, if you make a joke about how, you know, um, my son is a human GPS because, uh, you know, uh, he loves to memorize directions. And if there's some joke about how he was able to get me home when the, the, my GPS went out, that's not a very good joke. It needs work, but then that's fine because you're not making fun of him. You're making fun of something about him. And uh-huh. Right. And so that's so we'll put this to the test a little bit. Now, um, uh, I got three clips here from comedians, and this is this really is kind of third rail uh, of comedy. And these were all moments where they were controversial. Let's start with Larry David on Saturday Night Live. Many of you will recognize this. Here we go. If I'd grown up in Poland when Hitler came to power and was sent to a concentration camp, 
would I still be checking out women in the camp? <laughs> I think I would, you know? Hey, Shlomo, Shlomo, look at that one over there by Barrett's Eight. Oh, my God, is she gorgeous? Oh, oh I've had my eye on her for weeks. Yeah, I, I, I've been, I, I'd like to go up and say something to her. Of course, the problem is, there are no good opening lines in a concentration camp. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> they treating you okay? <laughs> you know, if we ever get out of here, I'd love to take you out for some latkes. Well, you get the point. So, um, <laughs> did, did, had you seen that before, uh, Susan? No. Okay. No, I have not seen. I did not see that. Now, so what do you think of that? Some people would say Holocaust out of bounds. Mm-hmm. What would you say? I think it's, uh, I think it's borderline. Borderline, uh, okay, yeah. I, I do, I do, I do think it's kind of borderline. It is funny. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it is, it, it is funny. It made me laugh. I mean, you know, so, I, I couldn't help myself. I, but it, it is a little borderline. Um, it's like that film. Remember that film, Seven Beauties. Or, or um, not just that one, but that other one. The life is good. Life the is Italian Benini guy. Life is beautiful. Um, life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. Rather. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it it was a, an award winning movie that so many people took terrible offense at. Yep. Uh, because you know, it, it's. I think you when you're dealing with something like the Holocaust, you are stepping into very muddy waters. But uh, and it will offend some people. There's no doubt about it. But it's a risk. Yeah, it's a risk. So I mean, I can't say it's in bad taste all around. I can't really say that. It's very borderline. I think it makes people like you and I, who I happen to be of the Jewish persuasion. I'm going to take a leap and say maybe you are too. Um, Okay, so um, and I do, and you know, I have grandparents who fled fled Poland. Thankfully, I wouldn't exist if they didn't, but around that time. And so, yes, it, um, some would say just don't even bring it up. But others, and I saw a special on this. I forget what it was called. It was a documentary, but it had Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, and it was posing this question. Now, Mel Brooks makes fun of Nazis all day long. I mean, he's, he's made a career out of it practically, but he actually says he won't make Holocaust jokes specifically. Um now, to me, just my opinion, Larry Dave, what Larry David did is okay and funny. I think it's okay to laugh at it because certain Holocaust survivors would tell you the humor was kind of all, it's an old Jewish thing. It's like the humor is what got us through all these years. Um, he's not making fun of the fact that, that people died. He's making fun of the fact that, um, you know, it was such a horrible thing. Where could you have found some normalcy in that thing and maybe actually had a laugh about it? That's the way I interpret it. Um, but, you know, I know that as I'm sort of chuckling at this, I know there are people who the moment he launches into it, they feel pain. And I can't say so. I can't say I'm right. Um, there was another one that uh, also from Saturday Night Live famously uh, 
Louis C.K., whose career, if you, if you believe in karma, maybe his, he's been being punished for this and other things. But we'll take a quick listen to this one. Because child molesters are very tenacious people. They love molesting childs. It's crazy. It's like their favorite thing. I mean, when you it's so crazy because when you consider the risk in being a child molester, speaking not of even the damage you're doing, but the risk, there is no worse life available to a human than being a caught child molester. And yet they still do it. Which from, you can only really surmise that it must be really good. I mean, from their point of view. And so he says from their point of view, and then he goes, oh, we don't have to play the whole thing, but he says a thing like, he goes, I really love Almond Joys. Like, I would eat Almond Joys all day long if, if, if I could. But if you told me I was going to jail and would be publicly shamed for the rest of my life, I would probably stop eating the Almond Joys. So how about that one? What was your reaction to that one, Susan? No, uh, I don't. I don't see that one. I don't see that one the same way. And in, in a sense, he's saying the crime is getting caught. The crime is not in the doing. That's the way I interpret it, and yeah. I, I find that offensive. All right, you know, and they, fair enough. He did. He did. He, he did try to put in yeah. a disclaimer there. He said the damage you're doing to people. He said, never mind the damage you're doing to people. Nevertheless, I mean, I, I, I looked at that as almost an experiment on his part to kind of see how far he could go. I, I mean, I don't think he's pro-child molester, obviously, but he, what the, the whole nut of the joke was, good Lord, how are these people doing things knowing the consequences and trying to find some humor there? But, you know, if you've ever been around something like that that happened to you or someone in your family, I can imagine you'd want to shoot him. Um, you want to do? He, go ahead. If I, I interrupt, but if I go back to his almond joy analogy, yep. you know that you know he—if he, he thought that you know eating almond joys would put him in jail, he might stop eating almond joys. I mean, that's clearly that he—it's like saying you know there's nothing wrong with consuming you know tons and tons of almond joys. Not that it's sugar and it's going to make you fat and right. give you pimples and whatever else, but the. The thing is getting caught, you know, and that's that's what I took out of it. The the, the essential thing you were doing wasn't wrong, you yeah. know, but you was you were going to get caught doing it. That's what was wrong. All right, sorry, Louis C.K., you lose on that one. Yeah, Louis C.K., I think you went over the top. All right, you want to do one more? This might sure. this might be the 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 uh, the uh, cringe cringe worthiest of them all, but it is Sarah Silverman, and uh, oh, Sarah, you like Sarah? Sarah. I liked mostly I do mostly. All right. Well, we'll, we'll put that to the test. Go ahead, Sarah. Mm, I need more rape jokes. <laughs> I do. I rape jokes are a hidden gem in comedy. Let me explain rape. Obviously the most heinous crime imaginable rape jokes are great. <laughs> no, because they make a comic seem so edgy and so dangerous. And the truth is, it's like the safest area to talk about in comedy. Because who's going to complain about a rape joke? I mean, I would say rape victims, but they're traditionally not complainers. <laughs> and she, she goes on. So, so that's, I don't even know if I'm okay with that one. And she later explains, she says, well, I'm making a joke about the fact that a lot of rape victims don't speak up. And she knows she's going to this dark place the other the other gag she tells along these lines which i i do laugh at it she says and, and she's making this up but she says you know as a young person i was 
you know, sexually molested by a dentist, which, which as a Jewish girl gives you real mixed emotions. So it's just, it's just you know, that you would love a, a dentist, which, so that's dark, right? I mean, that's pretty out there. What do you think? I didn't think that was funny. I mean, a little bit <laughs> the that you played. No, that did not make that did not make me laugh. Um, Much of the audience she, agreed with you. Yeah, she's you know she's she touched on a very sad truth. Yes, and, and and that sad truth is is not a funny truth. It's that many rape victims don't report. You know what happened to them, and yeah. um, that's not funny. Yeah, to, it's, to, it's just not funny. Well, I would agree with you. And to go back to what I said before, what is it actually that you're making fun of? And unfortunately, in that part, you just said it. You're making fun of the fact that that rape victims don't come forward. Why don't they come forward? Because this horrible thing has happened to them. That's not that's not funny. So you got to I like to think you can like I like to think no subject is off out of bounds if you can, um, you know, make people laugh in a good way about it. You know, so. Ooh, so tough, tough day for the uh, the comedians here. But I, but um, I give you credit, uh, Susan, because we went to the third rail there and we defended um, good comedy. Once, uh, once, remind people uh, where they can find the book, Susan. The books uh, are on, certainly on Amazon. Um, the book is available through all online booksellers. Um, the my first book, um, How Old Am I in Dog Years. Uh, it is also available in some actual what they call brick and mortar bookstores. Uh, Barnes and Nobles actually carries it in some of their stores. Uh, the second book, not, but they do carry it online. There's a reason for that, which I won't bore you with. But um, okay, there goes Sam again. <laughs> Sam has thoughts on this. Yes. Um, so terrific, right? And once but again, Amazon is the easiest place to get it. Great. And if you want to read Susan's blog and the other stuff, it is susansunfilteredwit.com. Do you have uh, five more minutes, Susan? Sure. Okay. So we do this thing called good stuff where we recommend something good and poor Susan is unprepared for this, but I'm going to ask you in a moment, you have about, uh, you know, 30 seconds from now to recommend something good. You've either read, seen, it could be anything, a recipe, or it could be your favorite coping device during this quarantine as we do this segment called good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. No, hold on. Sorry, you couldn't you couldn't hear the segment uh, sound intro because Sam was barking over it. Sam barking. <laughs> He's barking along with the B fifty two. Sam spotted another iguana. <laughs> so um I'm going to put him outside. No, no, it's okay. We're good. We're good. And um, yeah, do you, do you have something to recommend to our listeners? Something that has helped you through this one way or another? Um, well, one thing, it may not be good for everybody, but I reverted back to something from my slightly younger days that I used to like to do all the time, but lately have not had the time for is jigsaw puzzle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was a big jigsaw puzzler. Uh, once upon a time, and I decided that this is a really good way to pass the time for me. Anyway, uh, I find it very absorbing. It it um, it really sucks me in. Mm-hmm. So I used to do thousand pieces all the time. Anything less, we like for children. So big, you know, mock of that I am. I go and yep. I haven't done one in years. I go order a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, and it comes, and I take a look in the box, and I goes, "What am I crazy?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a 
thousand tiny little cardboard pieces. Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? Yeah. But um, I'm working on it, and um, you know, it's just something I go to when I just feel okay. Now it's time to find another piece, and it just it relaxes me actually. You're so that been good. I do have all kinds of guilty pleasures on Netflix. Give us, um, give us one or two. Well, the one I'm currently involved in is an Australian series mm-hmm. called Offspring. Oh, I haven't seen this or heard of this. I don't know how many seasons it ran, but I am now on season three. Um, each season has about 18 episodes. Mm. I, I never wanted to end. I hope it had a lot of seasons because mm-hmm. um, I'm completely enjoying it. You know, you get wrapped up and it becomes, it's like all the characters in it for the time you're watching. This is my little world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like these people become real. You know, they're my friends. I know them. And um, I'm, I'm just enjoying it. Like I said, it's it's a guilty pleasure. It's uh, a bit of a lighthearted soap opera, as it were. But it's very enjoyable, very well done. And I would recommend it to anybody that just wants something light to watch. That's very well acted. I've got the trailer here for season one of Offspring. Let's listen. Maybe I'll give it a clue as to what it's about. Yeah, Proudman. successful in every facet of her life except for love but that was all bc before chris the problem good god hi i'm chris hamill it's a new pediatric guy everything changed the day nina met chris nina you're holding my arm oh and chris has haunted her thoughts ever since now she just needs to find that courage to turn her fantasy into reality. Okay, this can be done. So it looks like, so our protagonist here, our heroine, is this woman who works in a hospital. Is she a doctor or a nurse or something, maybe? She's a doctor. She's a doctor. She's Okay. And then Chris comes along, who's very handsome, and uh, it looked like it, it may borrow a little bit from Grey's Anatomy. It might borrow a little bit from Allie McBeal, and that she has, she seemingly has these fantasies about this dude. But it looks um, it looks kind of light and fun. Is that right? It is, and it's more about not so much the hospital, but it's also about her her family, her brothers, her sister, um, her parents, and you know their their assorted relationships with each other and with other people. And so it's more than just a, it's not just a hospital. Thing. Mm-hmm. It's broader than that, but I, I don't know. I just find it a really nice escape at the end of the day. That's cool. I love it. I'll recommend. I'll recommend something on Netflix myself. And you've probably heard this. This is this is old news, but Jerry, the aforementioned Jerry Seinfeld, has a series called "Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee," and yes, I, and and. It is just these little, like you, like your comedy, Susan. A lot of little slice of life things. He just kind of walks around with comedians, actually getting coffee, as the the title promises, and then just noticing things about life. And he had Norm Macdonald on one of them. I just found this hilarious, and it's simply Norm Macdonald recalling an episode of the TV show Kojak from the seventies. And this is what Norm says. I just got a kick out of this. You are Kojak, Sally Savalas, Sally Savalas, the lollipop. Yeah, yeah, the lollipop going. So for the pilot. <laughs> It was uh, Crocker's first day. You know, Kevin Dobson played Crocker. Sure, Crocker. So he was just out of police academy. Green. They kept saying how green he was. Kojak had been around a long time. 
He knew everything. So he's, you know, as this green kid, he doesn't know if he wants to be working with him. So the, what was happening was uh, prostitutes were being murdered. You oh, know? my. He goes, go down and uh, try to get some information from the prostitute's mother. So a little while later, uh, Crocker comes back. I talked to her, her mother. She wasn't a prostitute at all. She was a good, good girl. Yeah. So Kojak's seen it all, right? So he takes this lollipop, he goes, yep. She was a good girl. Mama's apple pie. The 4th of July. She was a hooker! <laughs> and the episodes are all like 18 minutes long, so it's kind of fun to binge and find somebody that you enjoy. So, um, Susan, I hope I you... Bit, Go ahead. Uh, before you leave this, uh, comedians and cars going for coffee, I just want to say I borrowed the title. Uh, I stole from Jerry Seinfeld in one of my essays, which I called Husbands in Cars Going to Costco. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's in it's in my book. It's in the book of how to complain. And it it really centers around the day my husband discovered Costco and how he couldn't stop talking about it. And he would tell all his friends about the bargains and the the giant bottles of scotch that he got. That caused (laughs) me to have to build a new liquor cabinet because I couldn't hold the giant bottle of scotch. And, and then they all got excited. They all agreed that Costco was the best thing that's ever happened. And, you know, so it was husbands and cars going to Costco. There you go. I like it. Yeah. yeah. My son loves going to Costco. That's one of our usual pilgrimages. But we've put it on hold because no samples. They're not giving out the samples because of oh. this thing, right? So I can't wait for those samples to come back. Um, <laughs> at, at any rate, Susan, I'm, I'm glad you had fun on the pro. I hope you had fun on the program. I did. I did. So um, definitely check out Susan's book, Susan's blog, anywhere you uh, find your good books. It is How to Complain. More thoughts about life from the far side of the hill. Sorry, How to Complain when there's nothing to complain about. There's some irony here because there's plenty to complain about now. We're all complaining. (laughs) But you know what? You need a good book. So go go find Susan's book or all the good stuff, stuff she has on Susan's Unfiltered Wit. Dot com And on behalf of the very funny and my new best friend, uh, Susan Goldfein, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston, but if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Enjoy your quarantine, everybody. Hang in there. We might be done almost soon, maybe. I don't know. Help. I said, I'm